When you're invited to direct a movie adaptation involving one of the most loved literary creations the world has ever known, you can be pretty certain you won't get a second chance if you mess it up. You're a wizard, Harry. I'm a what? Thankfully, that's not a fate that befell David Yates. Not only did David take charge of the last four Harry Potter films, he was also asked to make J.K. Rowling's official spin-off, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. I'm Edith Bowman and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast in which I speak to cinema's finest about film music. With the budgets attached to the Potter franchise, it is of course possible to secure the services of the best composers in the world. David has taken full advantage of this privilege, variously employing Nicholas Hooper, Alexandra Desplat and James Newton Howard. He also collaborated with Rupert Gregson Williams on The Legend of Tarzan. We'll intersperse plenty of their work throughout the conversation as well as that of John Williams, who provided scores for the first three Potters. Indeed, David was acutely aware that the soundscape for Fantastic Beasts had to echo that created by the great master, whilst establishing an identity of its own. start now at the present yes. if that's all right because yeah. fantastic beasts the soundscape hits you immediately as you sat down in your seat and yeah. it's wonderful is that an easy decision to make as to what that sound's going to be and was that always the decision that you'd have something big and powerful well we started with the hedwig theme because it was a big discussion with the studio about how much of the classic harry potter theme we have in the movie keen that we had quite a bit because they felt it would tie the movie into the previous stories and I felt very strongly with James Newton Howard the composer that we wanted to really start afresh yeah that we wanted to, this movie to have in part its own identity yeah to pay tribute to the sort of symphonic qualities of all the Williams scores and Alexander scores but effectively to be its own beast as it were <laughs> so to speak <laughs> So there was a bit of a negotiation about where we'd put that lovely John Williams Hedwig thing. We put it literally, I think, in two or three places. We put it right at the very beginning of a WB, and then we go big, as you say. like a little echo um, in the bank and in the zoo and they're evocative little moments that blink and you'll miss them but they sort of have a resonance of where we were before and then the rest of the score is James's score his beautiful music which creates a new experience for the audience 
so few notes on James's score compared to all the scores I've worked with in the past. Why do you think so, that is? Um, I don't know, maybe we're more in sync than I was with some of the other composers, but I've always heavily noted composers. I, I think I drove Alexander nuts, you know, and Nick Hooper, who I work with a lot in television and on two Harry Potters. I would get heavily involved very early on. Yeah. Way early, way early. And only because the music for me is the soul of the film. It's kind of like the heartbeat. If you get it wrong, it takes the film in the wrong direction, so it's essential. In this case with James, I asked him to clear his schedule and to come and join us even while we were shooting. And you know, these big composers like James, because he's one of the top five or ten in the world, they normally, you know, you'll get them for a brief period, they'll come in at the very end. Mm. It's a very industrial process. Yeah. The movie's almost locked, not quite. And then they come in and they bang together a score in a period of a month or two and they record it. You know, three months tops, turn around, write, record, mix. I said to James, if I give you this job, James, will you start really early before we finish shooting? Come and on the journey. Come on the journey, meet some of the actors, read the script, come and watch me film a couple of scenes, get inside the material and really build this world gradually and slowly and send me pieces when we're editing, which might inspire me as I cut the film. And he very sweetly and very kindly said, I'll drop everything. And he pretty much cleared his calendar to stay with us for that journey. Wow. And none of the composers I've worked with, with the exception of Nick Cooper, were able to do that. And we always got them at that block at the end. Yeah. When it's all kick bollock and scramble. And <laughs> yeah. normally, and he didn't know. if it's not a studio picture, you've run out of money as well. <laughs> developed the score over a long period of time and I heard ideas very very early we were able to sort of establish the dialogue early and so consequently when it came to really refining it he was way ahead of the game body of work that he's worked on. Yeah. Most recently I remember doing The Hunger Games, but also things like The Fugitive.
Sixth Sense and Primal Fear and really quite dark stuff as well yeah. and I really love that he brings that to it. Yeah, he's got he can go to dark places and he can also have a real iconic sense of theatre as well. You know, he do, yeah, he does the big yeah. lyrical stuff really beautifully. And he's got a great team. His team has been, have been with him for how many years did they say? God, they've been with him forever. <laughs> and they've done something like 77 scores together. Wow. There's a whole team of them and they work brilliantly together. And you just know you're working with the best. It's like working with Stuart Craig, a production designer, or Colleen Atwood, costume designer. You're working with people who know what they're doing, but bring a humility to the process and a curiosity to the process, even though they've been doing it for years. said that having a minute at that early stage you wanted it to be an open conversation and a, and a real collaborative thing what he came up with could in fact you know influence you and, and did it along the way it did i mean he came up with a jacob theme really early a piano theme that i loved So he'd send me pieces and I'd just jump on certain things and we'd leave other things behind. And the Jacob theme was so jaunty and period. It's a little piano riff. If you hear it at the very end of the movie, how does it influence you? It just gives you a certain spirit as you work and it's hard to explain. Here. I can't remember if I played it to Dan and if I didn't I should have <laughs> because I think he would have really appreciated it. When you came on board with Potter obviously there was a sound the music of Harry Potter was kind of established yeah. but very important to still stamp your own mark which yeah. you very clearly did visually but also sonically. Was that quite an easy thing to do was it quite difficult because you worked with a couple of composers on the films that you I brought Nick Cooper with me from yeah. television and Nick was not a natural fit for a big movie but what he did with the scores was very personal and very delicate and I personally love that with notes though because it took us a while to find the melodies or the ideas and Nick was by the end of two movies I wanted him to do all four but by the end of the second movie he said you're on your own mate I'm out of here I've got to sort of maintain my marriage and 
and and um, and so our journey kind of came to an end at that point. And I I didn't want him to leave. He said, "Look, two movies is enough for me." So we went from the grand symphonic of Pat Doyle or John Williams to this slightly more austere soundscape, which was a direct lift from all the television work I'd been doing. Alexander came in and it's only really since I started working with Alexander where I've dived back full tilt I think into the more not obvious canvas but the canvas that these big movies generally have. to go either way but in defining beasts and making beasts as my first of these films I wanted the full Monty <laughs> I wanted the whole I wanted every single colour in the orchestra mm -hmm. and I wanted it to be classical and symphonic there's so much colour to it it's like a kaleidoscope yeah. almost of music it's and it just... really helps the movie a lot finds the movie what James has done with it I think he sort of captures the spirit and the soul of it in a beautiful way and um, I'm very proud of what he's done thinking going way back for you Jaws was a, a film that was a big influence it was yeah 13. you just hear that yeah yeah that sort of <laughs> I'm not even going to say it I'll yeah. try and... I know. are always so evocative and powerful and he's a master. And 
I think for a lot of people that's a film that you don't even realise how important or influential as a film fan the music is being. It's so clever, it's so subtle, but it's so powerful. You think of the scores he's created, you know, Indiana Jones and Jaws and Star Wars and those big theatrical, symphonic melodies, beautiful, amazing pieces of music. Even now, some of the people I met here are going to a viewing of E.T. at the Royal Albert Hall with a live orchestra for Christmas. And it's like, that's an event because you're going to hear that beautiful E.T. theme, oh God, I which sort of makes your heart <laughs> Makes me want to cry. James is of that school. He writes big themes, confidently, evocatively, soulfully. And I've asked him back for Beast 2. And I've Three, also four said, and five? Well, we'll take them one at a time. <laughs> and I've said to him, if I make a little film for no money in between, would you do that? And he said, absolutely. And I would actually love to make a musical, actually, but a contemporary musical. Because musicals are very strange beasts. They've been mm -hmm. sort of ghettoised by either the West End or by Hollywood. Did you ever see Dancer in the Dark, the yeah. Lars von Trier film yeah. with Bjork? Yeah. I thought that was so interesting. When I'm working in the factory, and the machines, they make this rhythms, and I just start dreaming, and it all becomes music. There's an opportunity to make a musical that feels fresh and interesting, that deals with contemporary themes. I mean, it's a bit of an odd thing to want to do, but I think it could be quite an interesting way to tell a story again with the right sort of gang. I've seen La La Land, the Damien Chazelle oh, movie yeah, that's coming out. I can't wait to see that. I mean, it's wonderful. Oh, mate, I've got to see that. City of stars, are you shining just for me? City of stars. Tarzan as well yeah. because with yeah. that comes an element of culture yeah in terms yeah. Of, of location and, and yeah. where you are and the story that you're telling within that was that something that you researched and talked about with Rupert quite a lot I did do you know I had two composers on Tarzan before I brought in Rupert I had this lovely guy called Mario Gregoriev who wrote a little piece for Beast actually the phoenix
Like James, I got Mario in really early, and Mario started to write a score for us, and he wrote the most soulful music. It wasn't actually the kind of score we ended up with, with Rupert. But Mario's score was more lyrical and more romantic, but it was Mario's first big movie. And unlike Nick, who could carry that, Mario, who is equally an artist, you know, it takes a certain set of muscles to carry that through. And so we, we got to a really difficult point where we couldn't quite crack the score. And Mario is so gifted and he's brilliant for smaller films. So that's when I brought in Rupert to sort of pick up the batter. adventure score mm -hmm. in a rousing kind of way which at that point in the cycle of making the movie felt useful and good So I was making the two at the same time, which was bonkers. Mentalist. I know, in total. <laughs> so I was finishing off Tars and I was editing wow. Beasts. In fact, what would happen is I would be in my edit suite with Mark, my editor, and I'd have Tarzan up there. I'd hear David Heyman coming down the corridor. I go, quick, Mark, get Tarzan off. Tarzan, Alex, Alex, shirtless Alex would come off the screen and up would pop Beasts. And David Heyman would come in and say, how's it going, guys? I go, yeah, David, we're sort of doing quite well here. We've been working on the Niffler sequence. It's great. Can't wait to see it. David would leave. Up, Tarzan would pop on again. We'd get stuck into Tarzan. doing the two films at the same time. <laughs> but Mario, I'm going to work with Mario again, who I started the journey with on another film at some point because he's so talented. Are you going to have time to do other projects in between yeah, all the beasts? I've got a plan. Okay, good. Yeah, rather than... <laughs> well, I can tell you're a good multitasker yeah, anyways. Mate, <laughs> I've got a plan to make a small film in the second half of 2018. You know, six, eight-week shoot. Yeah. Yeah, a drama. It's, it's important for you, isn't simple. it? It is, yeah. I think these films are wonderful. The storytelling's great, but I need to get off a soundstage and away from green screens. I need to get out into the real world, maybe even with non-actors, and I need to tell a story that is not about the sort of bells and whistles of it all. And I always used to do it in television. You know, I'd do State of Play, and then I did, I think, all the young visitors with Jim Broadbent, and then I did Sex Traffic, so I would always try and go in different directions and I'm afraid of sort of getting on one track. 
that's what you like to do. Well, you that's like, what I'd like to, to do when you've got the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you kind of look down your CV, so to speak, and paying a bit of attention to the start of your career and the shorts that you made and where they went and what they touched on as well. And Rank, for example. Yeah, and, no, I'm you very know. proud of Rank. That was such a lovely script by Robbie McCallum because those kids felt very real meeting those Somali men, you know, in Glasgow. Yeah. I must have a look at that again. Is there a different approach to music when it comes to TV and film? Because obviously with these films, with the Potters and with Beasts, yeah. there's no contemporary music because it's all score. But Girl in the Cafe, we had Damien Rice in there, there's Sigur Ross. Sigur Ross, beautiful. <laughs> love that stuff. With these stories, it's definitely all going to be classic, symphonic. But with Rank, that was um, Mongolian throat music. I was trying to find a piece of music when I made it years ago, and I wanted something really strange and beautiful and haunting and soulful. God knows how I came across it, but I heard this Mongolian throat music where they sing from the back of the throat, and it's so beautiful. And it was so culturally alien to what you were seeing. So it just felt really other. As these little kids walked across Glasgow to see these Somali men, and then you heard these Mongolian throat <laughs> and it was but it worked it yeah. worked and so I can't really do that on beasts yeah but I could do it on the right project Were you a big music fan growing up? Because who did you grow up in Merseyside? I was so into the Beatles when I was growing up. Even though the Beatles were like a, ten years before, I was born in 1963. But in the 70s, they were really still quite exciting.
you know what? I miss music. I miss not going to gigs and... But I'm so busy making things that you don't get the opportunity to get out and enjoy music as much as you should, really. Um, so that's something I need to address. It's either a Bollywood musical or a sort of really weirdly contemporary. I don't know. I'd love to see La La Land. I must see it. it. But it's great, isn't it? I loved Whiplash. A fabulous piece. Fantastic beast. I can't wait for the yeah, next episode. It'll be absolutely brilliant. And it's a pleasure as always to talk to you. Thank oh, you so cheers. much. Thanks, okay. Track to Damien Chazelle's superb film of the same name, that's Whiplash by Hank Levy. Rounding off this, the latest episode of Soundtracking with director David Yates. My huge thanks to David for taking the time to talk to us and for being so frank about his various working relationships. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is on general release around the globe now, with James Newton Howard's score available by our good friends at Water Tower Music. Head to edithbowman.com to find our dedicated soundtracking Spotify playlist, which allows you to hear the specific tracks and compositions we play in the order they appear. My website is also the place to catch up with all of our previous shows, in which the likes of Ben Wheatley, Richard Linklater, Andrea Arnold and Ron Howard have enlightened us about the use of music in their films. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Soundtracking UK. And do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. Next week, I have the absolute pleasure of chatting to James Bobbin, whose latest film, Alice Through the Looking Glass, came out earlier this year. He's also the man responsible for bringing us Flight of the Concords. I look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.